First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I mean, what's that football group is doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about sling and stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. It's December the 22nd. Frankly, everybody's checking out for Christmas, but not us at the PFF NFL podcast and not the Los Angeles Rams who get another uh, W on the way to an inevitable playoff march from the looks of it. Uh, We'll be talking about that game uh, Thursday night football as was with our guy Trevor Sycamore. Also, drafting for the top 10 of the draft and uh, fitting some other fun things in on this show as well as the return of the boo-boo breakdown. Uh, How's it going, Trev? It's going good. You saying December 22nd actually just broke my brain because right. I, I we're right didn't here. really realize we're three days away from Christmas. But uh, here we are. You saying that out loud means that uh, this is going to be the most jolly show possible because now it's all I'm going to think about because we're so close to Christmas. Absolutely. And I haven't had a chance to congratulate you yet uh, for being part of a finalist uh, for the awards for the Sports Podcast Awards. You are a, a nominee. Dude, that's... This is all you guys. I mean, that one, it's 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 awesome. I should have been the one to bring that up first. It's really, really cool that, um, ev- honestly, everybody who's on the entire team for this show got nominated for a, a podcast award. We would appreciate everybody going to vote. I'm sure you've told people every single mm-hmm. show to do that. But once again, here on a Friday, would really appreciate that because so many people, not just you and uh, not just you and Steve, but so many people behind the glass as well, put in so much work to make this podcast really great. So it is a congratulations to you guys who put in more hours for this show than I do. So that's pretty awesome, guys. Congrats on that. Well, I appreciate that, but also could not have done it without you and Brad Spielberger this year as parts of the show as well. Not only are we soliciting votes, you know, begging our listeners to go and vote for us, which you can do. You can find it in the link of this show and my pinned tweet at PFF underscore Sam and a bunch of other places as well. Every vote absolutely appreciated. We're also appealing to our listeners to help us rig the vote with, you know, nefarious hacking or scripts or anything like that. You know, Steve had a guy, a baseball uh, teammate of his, rig this back in like the early 2000s. He wrote some kind of (laughs) macro to rig an online vote. If you could do that back in like 08, think what you can create now, right? Did you see the story about the the person that released the the Grand uh, Grand Theft Auto 6 videos? 
I did, yes. Managed to hack Rockstar using a fire stick, a phone, and an internet connection from a hotel TV. If some 18-year-old can do that, we have to have a listener that's able to go out there and get us a million votes for the Sports Podcast Awards. Yeah, there's somebody out there. I mean, you've got a wide enough podcast base too like somebody in your podcast listenership has to be in the hacking group anonymous right i mean like somebody has to be that it's just a numbers game at that point so i figure somebody listening to this has that kind of power i just can't wait till um whenever like we have 24 hours left of voting whatever it is and i get to tweet out the the bernie sanders meme Mm. where he's like holding the gun instead and he's like i am no longer asking (laughs) for you to vote now i'm now i'm demanding that you Uh, vote for the podcast so i'm just waiting for that i asked you politely and then i asked you regularly and now i'm telling it go and vote yeah yeah i am no longer asking yeah all right Anyway, before we get into the sensible stuff, we've got to talk about securing your family's financial future, as well as securing our victory in the Sports Podcast Awards. Starting with life insurance, Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies to fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and it's on your schedule. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, Trev, the Los Angeles Rams defeat the New Orleans Saints by a score of 30-22. to And frankly, this game should never have been remotely that close. It was a fairly comfortable Rams victory almost for the entirety of it. See, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. Because okay. I saw a lot of people talking about that on social media. But I am actually going to push back on that a little bit. Do I think that the Rams made it look easier? Yeah, I don't think we we were ever stressed out at any point that the Rams like weren't playing well. And the Saints this year, they're just a very boomer bust team. They're very hot and cold. Sometimes it looks absolutely terrible. Sometimes it looks fantastic. But I will say, although it felt certainly in the second half, when you looked at the scoreboard, you went, man, the Rams really have just been controlling this one all the way. And that was true when the game ended. But I think back to one minute left in that game. Or sorry, one minute left in the half. First half, yeah. Third and five. Derek Carr hits Chris Olave straight in the hands. He drops it. So they're in a situation, okay, they're right at the 50. They're on the Rams side of the, of the line of scrimmage. They go for it on fourth and five, which you should. That's That's the right thing to do at that point of the field. And they don't get it. Well, all of a sudden, that game goes from being... 7-10, to 10, which it was at that point, if Chris Olave just catches that football, you think at the very worst they're going into the half and it's 10-10, to 10, they're going to kick a field goal because it's going to get easier and they're probably going to get some more yards after that. So they had a situation where if Chris Olave catches that football, it's 10-10 to 10 at the half. And instead, they turn the ball over on fourth down, the Rams have all three of their timeouts, they march down the field, they throw a touchdown, and then all of a sudden it's 17-7. to 7. Then the Rams come out and they get points at the beginning of the second half, and it just feels like a runaway after that. But to me, a 10-10 game at half is completely different from 
a 17 to 7 game where all momentum then goes completely to the Los Angeles Rams and this game although it was I don't want to call it a garbage time touchdown but it was kind of a late game effort by the Saints to get that to within an 8 point game that was that's basically the swing right that's basically the swing that happened when Olave just drops that one pass so there was a lot more football that had to be played after that but to me he catches that football and who knows what's ha- what happens throughout this game. So I do think in the end, the Rams clearly won pretty convincingly. People aren't going to really make a big stink about that. But I keep going back to that play as you hear coaches say all the time, four to five plays are all that stands between winning and losing in a single contest. It's just the four to five plays where the ball could have bounced the other way. Something happens and it doesn't, whatever. And to me, that Olave drop was one of those very, very crucial four to five plays that could have actually made the game a little bit different. But so I go back to that, and I I was going to bring that up at some point on the show. Here we are bringing it up at the top. Um, So I I did want to push back on that a little bit, even though I loved how the Rams looked in this game. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true in terms of, you know, even a game like this where, in, in my opinion, the Rams were a significantly better team than the Saints throughout the entirety of this game. But I think what you're illustrating is even in those encounters, every single game comes down to a few plays here or there. And if they all right. bounce one way, it, 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 it can negate all of that, right? Like, you're right, that drive before the half was huge. In fact, those two drives, the first of all, the Saints failing and then the Rams actually getting some points at the back end of it. On the other hand, like up until that point, it, it felt like the the end of that half only reflected how much better the Rams had been in the first half, right? That's the fair. only reason it was close was because they had missed a field goal. They had given up that one big play, right? The the big touchdown to Shahid, which turned mm-hmm. what was a comfortable double digit lead into uh, crap, it's close again, right? It's like this entire game was the Rams being better for the entirety of it. And then the Saints hitting them with a couple of big plays that reduced the deficit and made it much closer. And then, you know, those those sort of instances where they go for it on fourth. I think it was fourth and five twice, right? Or at least fourth. They and- did, yeah. They, they had they had a couple of, of big fourth down attempts that they did not get yeah. in that game. And they and they didn't come close on, on those two. And it, it sort of felt like that was the correct uh the correct like natural law <laughs> like outcome sure, of those right, plays. Right. it's like you haven't earned this play yet you know so yeah. no, I, I get what you're sense. saying like it, it it could have been a lot closer than it was but I feel like you know, certainly when you look at the grading like the difference between the two teams is pretty stark I mean the best thing maybe that the Saints did in this game was their receivers and the, the Rams had you know a dramatically better performance from Puka Nakua. Demarcus mm-hmm. Robinson has a better grade for his performance, catching all six passes thrown his way, including the touchdown. I mean, they were just better across the board. Yeah, and, and Stafford, I mean, what more can we say about him at this point? He is playing like a top-five quarterback in this league. And Stafford's somebody who's had all the arm talent in the world. There's a reason why he goes number one overall coming out of Georgia. There's a reason why he has had so much success throughout his NFL career during his time in Detroit with the Rams, obviously winning the Super Bowl, all that. And, you know, there have been retirement questions with with Matthew Stafford over the last couple of years. You know, he's had the elbow injury. All right, he's kind of getting up there in age. He's already got the Super Bowl. Is he going to hang him up? And this year he kind of goes into it. And I wonder if this year was a little bit of a, a little bit of a barometer for him of like, okay, if I can't really play to the level that I want to, which is probably something like this, right? Matthew Stafford believes he's a top five quarterback in this league. So if he wasn't able to play this well, 
Maybe he hangs it up after this season. But, man, it's the list of quarterbacks playing better than Matthew Stafford, if there are any at all, is very small. And I think that you saw that last night. The arm angles continue to be wow throws. I mean, just how he is reading the field, the confidence that he has in his receivers. Uh, the ball placement has been excellent. I think about I think about those plays, not just the ones that he completed to a variety of different receivers, certainly the ones with Puka Nakua and him stuffing the stat sheet. You mentioned to Marcus Robinson. Cooper Cup has a little bit of a quiet game stat sheet-wise, but I look at those couple of throws that he had to him that were just barely misses that I go, man, I actually... I actually liked a lot of the ball placement of where those things were. It just Cooper Cup was just mere inches away from being able to catch it. But it was those situations where, hey, either my wide receiver gets it or nobody does. We're living to fight another day. I'm living to throw another uh, another down. So just the the confidence that he is operating with right now is really, really fun to watch. And all of a sudden, the Rams who, dude, we went into this season – I don't want to say we because I don't know you. You maybe believe the Rams were a playoff team. I certainly didn't going into no. the season. But you look at this team; they move on from Jalen Ramsey, and you go, <clears throat> "Okay, who are the three best players on the team?" Oh, that's very easy. All right, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, my Aaron Donald—they're fantastic. And then you go, "Okay, who's four through 20? And you go, "Uh." I don't know. You know, it's just it's just this this mix of players that we didn't think was really going to equate to certainly the record that they have now. Um, and all of a sudden, the Rams have now turned into a team that I wouldn't want to see in the postseason. I wouldn't want to play this team. Certainly, the way that the, the Matthew Stafford is playing, the way that Sean McVay is coaching, I wouldn't want to play this team at all. I don't care if it's home away. I don't care if it's East Coast, West Coast. This team is firing on all cylinders for whatever their cylinders let them fire on, and and it's uh, it's a, it's a lot of fun to watch, and we saw it last night. Yeah, they. I mean, the the Matthew Stafford thing is fascinating. This might genuinely be his best NFL season in terms of an individual performance, um, and he's been doing it all season long. And it's just now he's getting the touchdown rewards. You know, they were talking last night on the broadcast in the post game show. You look at his run in the last games of, of number of touchdowns scored, whereas earlier in the season, we kept sort of stumbling into that number of being like, wow, Matthew Stafford's playing amazing. How has he only got like eight touchdowns in the first half right. of the year? Because um, his big time throw number and rate all the way through the season has been like off the charts good. He's been putting just this highlight reel tape together of absurd passes from start to finish. And now he's getting rewarded with those touchdowns at the end of it. Um, but like Stafford may not have ever played better than this. And it's just that the team around him isn't really a Super Bowl caliber team. So it's not quite as obvious. And, and obviously with those touchdowns not manifesting earlier in the year as well. Puka Nakua, though, had another game where you were reminded that sometimes the measurables don't actually tell the story. Right. And that term sneaky athletic gets used a lot and it's generally a bit of a joke when it is, but Puka Nakua might actually be sneaky athletic on the basis that he doesn't look athletic and yet he is like his, I know his measurables aren't amazing, but one of the interesting things was his tracking data, you know, the, the chip in the shoulder pad type of thing always highlighted Nakua as actually being, was it a 99th percentile athlete? Like genuinely insanely high and this is, you know, data that the Rams have access to. But it, it wasn't something that necessarily showed up on the tape, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you think of a guy like Tank Dell. Didn't, 
run particularly well. I keep four four nine, something like that, like a four five flat essentially for his forty time. But Tank Dell was always at the top of tracking numbers, where you're saying, okay, for whatever reason, the forty time didn't look great, but his tracking data says he's one of the fastest guys in the in in the draft, and you can see that every time you turn on the tape, Tank Dell looks fast. Mm-hmm. When even when you watch the tape with Puka Nakua, you don't immediately come away saying this guy is incredibly athletic, explosive. And yet you get games like that and the game before where you see he actually is. When he gets that ball in his hands, he can run away from people. He can beat them in short spaces. He's more athletic than he looks, which means he's sneaky athletic. I've talked about it here on this show. Confidence is so key to playing every single position. And when you look at Puka Nakua right now, there is so much confidence that he is playing from. And, and, you know, they've told this story on, on the broadcast about how the second he got to Los Angeles, he was like, give me a playbook, give me Matthew Stafford's phone number, give me Cooper Cuff's phone number, and we're going to go to work. Like, I'm going to be every every minute you these guys are in the facility, I'm going to be in the facility. Every minute that they are on the, the football field practicing, I'm going to be on the football field practicing. And it is that work ethic part of who he is as a player that allowed him to, in the three to four months from draft day leading up to week one of the regular season, we have seen all year, there's no hesitation. There's no fat on any of this guy's routes, on his releases, on where he's supposed to be, on what he's supposed to do after the catch. It, there's none of it. There's zero hesitation. And so that's why, like, when you look at him, you could look at players who maybe are more athletically gifted than him, but he's getting up the field a little quicker. He's getting to the spot quicker because there's just no second guessing. There, there's no wasted movements at all whatsoever. And you watch last night, man, the tough catches, You know how he's bouncing off of contact and, and getting as much yards as he possibly can. People were saying last night that Cooper Cup is a – sorry, uh, Puka Nakua is an example of like you just got to trust the tape. Dude, his tape now is a lot better than what we saw in college. That even if you trusted the tape with with Nakua at BYU, even if you liked what you saw at BYU, this version of him, him being able to do this at the pro level, is truly and like an even better jump and improvement. It's not like we saw this at BYU and now we're seeing it in the NFL. It was you saw things that you could have liked at BYU, and then he put in the damn work over this offseason to hit the ground running in a way that might end up being historic because he might end up breaking the rookie receiving record. So just a hat is uh, the hat is off to him, you know, as much as you could possibly give him his respects for the work that he put in this summer. And that is truly how we got to this point with him because he worked for it. Absolutely. He's been phenomenal in that offense and a huge boost to what they can do. I mean, Matthew Stafford to Cooper Cup is obviously uh, a dynamic receiving matchup, uh, receiving connection just in and of itself. But you add Nakua to that. Now you've got Demarcus Robinson making plays in the red zone. Um, They are a much more dangerous team than they were uh, earlier in the season. And certainly in the offseason when we were just looking at this thing on paper heading into the year, they looked uh, they look fantastic on offense. And I think they are. I mean, I joked before that actually. People say all the time, this is a team you don't want to see in the playoffs. And I kind of joke that actually, I think a lot of the NFC teams would be fine with seeing the Rams in the playoffs. The more they play like that, though, the less I'm convinced that's true. And I think they are becoming that team because that axis of Stafford, Cup, Nakua, uh, Kyron Williams, it's, there's a lot of scary 
weapons for teams to have to contend with with that. Right. Um, let's spend a little bit of time with the Saints. They did some things well on defense, uh, trying to disrupt that that receiving axis we talked about. Their offensive line got wrecked, and it sort of reminded you that actually that's a group that's been problematic for a while. You know, Aaron Donald had a, a few really big plays, as you would expect. Kobe Turner had some really nice plays. Michael Hoyt was making a bunch of plays. That mm-hmm. offensive line didn't hold up, and Derek Carr can't play that well when that happens. Yeah, it's just it, it was it was another frustrating game for the Saints, and I feel like there's been so many of them. We talked about it at the beginning, right? How this game could have actually been close. Like that, for as much as the Rams were the better team in this game, the Saints still had a chance to turn the tide, have this game be a 10-10 game at halftime, and who knows what happens after that. But Thursday night was just another example of how frustrating this Saints season has been and this current Saints roster. And it's a unit that you have continued to kick the can down the road salary cap-wise. You know, you're giving guys restructures and void years and all of this to try to stay relevant and... um you know, I saw a friend of the program, Mina Kimes, talking about the Atlanta Falcons and how frustrating it must be to be a Falcons fan knowing how winnable this division was and how they have come up as short as they have. And it has to be equally, maybe even more frustrating for the Saints because of all of the salary cap implications that they have now put into the next couple of years and Derek Carr specifically. And it's like they're trying to run it back with a unit that needs basically needs Drew Brees to make it work. Right. And it's just it, it, it's not there anymore. A lot of their guys on the defensive side, they've had changes. Um, the the A couple of the mainstays are getting older. Right. And so you're just in a situation where you're in New Orleans and. I think a lot of Saints fans went into this year and they said, okay, they're they're continuing to push the salary cap bill further down the road, digging a deeper hole as they do that. But at least they're going to win the division this year, right? I mean, that was the whole thing, is that they could tell themselves, we might not win a Super Bowl, but at least we're going to win a division this year. It doesn't even look like they're going to win the division this year. It looks like Tampa's now going to win it. So those two teams, the Falcons and the Saints have to be incredibly frustrated given the schedule that they had going into the year, two of the easiest schedules in the NFL, and they're both sitting here below 500 and aren't even going to win a really weak division. And so for the Saints, yeah, you mentioned the offensive line, but like if it's not the offensive line, it's the secondary. If it's not the secondary, it's the receivers. If it's not the receivers, it's Derek Carr. And it's it's something every single week with this team – that's made them really frustrating because at times they look like that team that should have been a shoe in to win a weaker division. Mm -hmm. And then there are other times where they just can't stop shooting themselves in the foot. So this is not a complete team right now. You can look at their depth chart and say, all right, I I, I like a lot of the pieces that they have, even if they're older, even if they're um, new additions, whatever you could say, all right, they could come together and win some football games, but they don't, they don't enough. And that's been a really frustrating part of watching this, this team. Not making the playoffs for them would be an absolute catastrophe because their entire offseason plan, the get Derek Carr type of approach, only made sense if you only had limit like the sort of limited aspirations of it's a weak division, we can win it, we make the playoffs with Derek Carr. He's good enough to take us that far, even if he's not right. good enough to take us any further. If you don't even achieve that, 
that is an absolute just awful indictment of your your team building approach because you could have had higher goals than that you know you could have had higher aspirations than bringing in Derek Carr just because he's only good enough to make the postseason um, we're going to move on to the draft and some other stuff as well. But first, we've got to tell you about our friends at Price Picks, who are the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. The, easy, the, uh, the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS is just you against the numbers. And frankly, the numbers are kicking our guy Eli's ass. Um, you pick more, you pick less. It's that easy. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more or less than on two to six player stat projections and just watch the winnings roll in. So Eli's trying that again this week. He is going for more on T. Higgins, more than 49 and a half receiving yards. Looks like Jamar Chase is probably not going to go. We'll talk to Vic about that later. That means T. Higgins is the guy. So more than 49 and a half receiving yards. Jordan Love, also more, 236 and a half receiving yards. And then finally, Josh Allen, more than 24 and a half rushing yards now that they are leaning into the Josh Allen rushing experience once again. You can play alongside Eli, you know, just seeing our, uh, our, our lineup here, or you can play alongside some of Price Pick's favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz. You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Price Picks community each week. Price Picks, of course, also offers that all-important reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. Price Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Um, go to pricepicks.com forward slash PFFNFL and use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's pricepicks.com forward slash PFFNFL and use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Remember, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Um, Before we get into drafting the top 10, Trev, we're getting Mm -hmm. up to Christmas, which means quarterbacks are giving their offensive linemen gifts. And uh, Patrick Mahomes, I saw, there was a video of him having gifted his entire offensive line fancy golf carts. You know, they, they look pretty cool. They were pretty pumped about it. I was curious, did what would, if you were, uh, you're a star QB, you're sitting there with your, you know, hundred plus million dollar contract. What are you gifting the offensive line for Christmas? Uh, wait, first of all, I think Trevor Lawrence did the golf cart thing like a, a few weeks or like a week before Patrick Mahomes yeah. did. I mean, it's so. not the most original one in the world, but it is pretty cool. Oh, it's great. No, no, no. Don't get me wrong. Like, getting a golf cart would be sick. If anybody wants to gift me a golf cart out there, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying, like, I'd take it. I'm just saying. So, if I'm a quarterback, what am I getting my offensive lineman? Mm-hmm. I'm getting them the biggest, nicest smoker, like, meat smoker yeah. I possibly can. Because I want my O-line. It's kind of a little bit like a, hey, here's a gift. Obviously, this is for you. But it's also for me. Because I want you to still be a big, strong boy. And the best way to do that, copious amounts of smoked meats. Chicken wings, briskets, turkeys. Shoot, you could do steaks on that bad boy if you could throw a cast iron right in there. Like, that's what I want. So I want to give you 
something that will allow you to also block better for me in the form of the nicest smoker imaginable. So that's what I would do. That's a good one. We had similar thoughts. Uh, I went about I went about it in a slightly different way, and frankly, a much more inconvenient way for offensive linemen, which I think adds a layer of comedy to it. I would mm-hmm. buy them each a whole cow, right? Like obviously dead and portioned out into meat, but not you know. But like you get these things where you can buy like a full cow's worth of meat, all done up. You know, here's your steaks, here's your sausages, here's your ribs, here's your, right. you know, all of that, right? Each one of them gets a full cow's worth of meat and just it's going to be sitting there on a table like there's your entire cow, however many pounds that is. Thanks, you know, and they could take it home and smoke it. But also they've got to figure out a way of freezing this entire cow for the next six months worth of meat. Yeah, I feel like you would also then you need to get them a chest freezer as well, right? You'd have to get them a yeah, like a garage freezer. Yeah. You know, you'd have to like buy them a, like a garage you freezer. Would. I think you can like do that. that. I don't think those things are that expensive. So you get them a full cow and the chest freezer to go with it. You know? And then if you've got maybe the running back, maybe if you maybe you and I could team up, right? One of us is the QB, one of us is the running back, and then I could get yeah. them the cow and the freezer, and you get them the smoker, and now you've got a whole meat setup going. See? It's a little. Uh, this is this is like Inception. You know, you're you're like planting something in their brain. But if anybody's seen the movie, you've got to give it a reason to take hold. That's got to be an organic thing. So instead, it's like a gift. Hey, here's a smoker. Now all of a sudden, they're like, oh. I'm going to get into smoking meats now. And you're like, yeah, yeah, you are. You're going to get into smoking meats. So, yeah, this is good. Yeah. I think we're on to something here. You're actually not going to have a choice because over here, we've got a thousand pounds of cow for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, that's what, that's what we would get our offensive lineman. How much is a full cow? That's a couple of grand, I think. Maybe a great, like fifteen hundred. I don't know. It's it's over a thousand, but less than you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Somebody in the chat looked that up. Somebody you're gonna buy. If you're gonna buy a. You're gonna buy a, a a prime cut cow. Somebody in the chat look up how much a cow costs. They can, dead. They can Remember, it. it's got to be dead. You can't. I don't want the the live thing. Steve right. was suggest. I, I mentioned this to Steve as an idea, and he suggested that as a prank, like a rookie offensive lineman should be given just a live one. Everyone else gets the the cow already, I, you know, no. butchered. The, the, the rookie, Don't make me think about it. The, the rookie just gets given a live cow and a butter knife. <laughs> Good luck. That's probably not legal. Anyway, all right, let's move on to actual football. Um, this is it's, this is a Christmas show, right? It's getting off the rails. Sure. We're getting out of control. Right. All right, we are going to draft for the top 10 as currently sits in the NFL standings, which obviously means we start with the Chicago Bears, who will have Carolina's draft pick as things currently stand and again, have the number one overall draft pick. So we've said this. We're going to have this conversation from now until the draft. I don't see how you can possibly re-up with Justin Fields, given the current state of evidence. I think you have to go quarterback. So which one are they going with? So, okay, here this, this might be a more fun way, a more like teamwork way to do this mock if you want to do it. I think that you should just like give me a scenario for the team, like – Oh, I think that this team, just from like what I've seen this year, whatever, needs an edge rusher. Like I think edge is probably the area that they should go. And then like I'll pick a prospect for. Okay. So you see so, so you want to do so you want to do quarterback here mm-hmm. for the Bears no matter what? Yeah. I, I can't see unless Fields 
And even if he does, I just don't know that you can make this choice. Unless he's absolutely untouchable for the last few games of the season, I can't see how you can say that he's definitely the guy going forward. It's an opportunity to press reset. Go QB. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm still going to go Caleb Williams then. Okay. I'm going to I'm gonna do Caleb Williams for them. And I am – I don't want to say – losing faith seems like a bad way to put it, but this race between – Caleb Williams and Drake May is getting closer the more I see. So I haven't really sat down to truly like get into all of the regular season film for both of these guys. But I have watched like Brendan Rice. I've watched the wide receiver from USC. Um, I've watched Marshawn Lloyd, the running back from USC. And I've watched, you know, for, for them, I'll watch like some of the 2020 tape and then I'll watch the 2023 tape. And there are a handful of times where I've been watching those guys and like, Caleb just doesn't get rid of the ball. And I am watching this film saying, dude, you gotta be able to work in structure better than this. Like it it it, it is not just an overblown thing that people talk about with Caleb Williams. It's very real that he has to speed up his his internal clock. He has to play better in structure. There were a handful of plays that I can remember where it is clearly a vertical, like it, it, it's a vertical play call. They're trying to look downfield, but then there is either a running back or a tight end that is just releasing to the flat who is wide open, not a defender within 15 yards. And Caleb just keeps holding onto the ball, looking, looking far downfield. And this is dude, just check the ball down. You got to, even if it's like six, seven yards and they collapse on him quick, you got to take the six or seven yards in the league. So he's got to get better. But then of course, there are just the nuts throws over the last, not just two, three years that he has played college football. So I still have him at number one. I haven't moved on that. I got to stay true to that. I'll, I'll stick with Caleb Williams here at number one. All right, number two, as things currently stand, the New England Patriots have that pick. And I think, again, mm-hmm. this is a pretty easy one. They have to go QB. They're restarting. They're, everything's rebuilding from the ground up, and they're probably doing it without Bill Belichick. So QB, QB2. Uh, easy. Uh, Jaden Daniels has had a fun year for LSU, but this is still Drake May for me. Um, most big-time throws in college football over the last two years. Uh, absolute gunslinger. He gives you that those shades of Justin Herbert, which is fun. He's got some added mobility to him, too. He's not just a statue in the pocket. Uh, I think he's got crazy good arm talent for as well as he has played over the last couple of years as just an underclassman. You got to have faith in in what you've seen from him there, the building block that it is into the NFL. So I really do believe that he has all of the tools needed to be a franchise caliber quarterback at the NFL level. So I agree with you. I think this has got to be a quarterback for the Patriots, especially if they're picking the size. So I'll go Drake back here. Arizona picking at number three. This would be a huge pivot point in this draft and one of the most fascinating picks if this is the way the draft actually unfolds um, Mm -hmm. because Arizona, number one, they'd be sitting in this pick, which I think would be highly coveted by other people wanting to trade up, you know, to grab somebody. Uh, Number two, because they are due to pay Marquise Brown a ton of money if they want to keep him around or, you know, hey, Marvin Harrison Jr. is sitting here available at number three. Um, right. Or if they do pay Marquise Brown and keep that receiving core intact, then they would would be in the market for basically any defensive player <laughs> in the draft because their defense needs help across the board. I think you probably end up saying that, I mean, I think Arizona's best option at this point would actually be to trade down. But assuming they have to stay in this draft pick, I think you're better off letting Marquise Brown leave, sing, accepting it's a sunk cost 
and using that pick on a wide receiver. And okay, so you you so you still like that avenue more than anything else you would say you would say go wide receiver. I think if we have to stay in this draft pick, I think that makes the most sense. I you know, we haven't seen enough from Marquise Brown to say he's worth it's probably not a trade they should have done in the first place, right? But I don't think that should be the reason to double down on it and give him a big contract and, you know, potentially throw good money after bad. I say, let's just upgrade a wide receiver. Then it's Marvin Harrison Jr. I wondered right. if we were going to get a little bit different with this one because of who they maybe have a wide receiver, you know, having Rondell Moore, you know, having um, um, Michael Wilson, like, okay, you can add another wide receiver and free agent if you wanted to. If you didn't want to play pay Hollywood Brown, you could pay Hollywood Brown. Like, you kind of went through there. So I wondered if we were going to get off wide receiver and if you were going to say, hey, I actually feel like offensive tackle might be the better area for them to go to, or you said something along the defensive line. But if we're sticking at wide receiver, it's Marvin Harrison Jr. I, I will say, Malik Neighbors and what he can do as a wide receiver is close to me. It's not overtaking Harrison Jr. He's still wide receiver one for me, and I'm very confidently saying that. But holy cow, Malik Neighbors would easily be wide receiver one in so many other draft classes. And uh, he is a phenomenal player. But we'll go Marvin Harrison Jr. here. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, you know, I think you can talk yourself into going in a different direction, saying that we have the the pieces, you know, we can re-up. Marquise Brown, we have Michael Wilson, we've got Rondell Moore, we've got uh, Trey McBride. Like, we have weapons here. Maybe we don't need to go in this direction. Um, and obviously there's a, a whole host of other players they could pick. But I think if they were in this spot, that's the most obvious one to go for. Uh, number four, the Washington Commanders with a 4-10 and record as things currently sit. I think they would be intrigued with the quarterbacks, but I don't know if – you're gonna want. You're gonna think one is is this uh, worthy up this this high? But I think ultimately they traded away both their edge rushers. They now desperately need edge rushers. So who's my best edge rusher? So I just recently went over the edge rush position and updated my top ten guys, and I came away with Dallas Turner from Alabama being my edge one player here. Um, I think that all three guys that are in this class, Dallas Turner. Jared Verse and Laatu Latu from UCLA are really good players, but there is there's not really an area of Dallas Turner's game, or I should or I should say his mold as a prospect, where I see any sort of deficiencies. Like going into the year, I would have said, okay, he needs to get more pass rush moves and he needs to get stronger. He did both of those things. He's got great length. He's got great burst. He's got a good build. Um, he's flexible. He's probably got the best bend in the class. He's got good strength now playing above 250 pounds. Um, he's a smart player. He has a lot of different pass rush moves that he likes to go to based off of beating offensive linemen with a long arm first. He likes to start games off basically telling offensive linemen, hey, I got the arm length to get straight into your chest, so you better be ready for it all game long. And he'll use that early on, and then from there, he'll you know throw a ghost move in there. He'll hit an inside move. He'll hit a club rip after they overextend their arms, things like that. So when I look at Dallas Turner, there is nothing really that holds him back from production at the NFL level when it comes to what he is as an athlete with quickness, with overall burst, um, what he could be as a hand technician if he gets even better, the strength level that he has. So to me, He's got all of those tools that you would want to be an NFL edge rusher. So I came away with him at edge one. So we would go with Dallas Turner here at four. 
At one point, the Chicago Bears owned the number one and the number two overall pick in the draft. Uh, as things stood, a couple of wins have taken them further away, but they still pick one and five in this scenario. So having already taken the quarterback at number one and number five, they come back with, with some options, I think, at this point. Um, I think their defense still needs some help. I think they could use another wide receiver. Uh, I think they could probably keep swinging at the offensive line as well. Mm-hmm. So they could really go in any direction at this spot. Um, hmm. Let's double down on ensuring my quarterback has the best chance of success. I want a wide receiver at five, even if Marvin Harrison is off the board then I would go with Malik Neighbors. I mentioned how Neighbors is is closer to the top than I think he gets credit for just because Harrison Jr. has been so entrenched at that wide receiver one spot. Um, Neighbors maybe doesn't get the love that he deserves, but elite overall receiving grade this past year, fantastic separation, unique athletic ability. I've talked about it here on this show. The ability to speed up while changing directions is just not something that mo- many wide receiver prospects or even prospects in the NFL have the ability to do. So the footwork, the explosiveness, uh, the change of direction ability, fantastic hands, good separation. I mean, it was all basically unstoppable this year for LSU's offense. So we're going to go with Malik Neighbors, a guy who could play in a lot of different positions uh, to go pair with, uh, with, with DJ Moore there. The back end of this top uh, 10, they basically all have the same record. <laughs> so one win for anybody can shift this order immediately. Yeah, in sure. Weekend. Um, number six, the New York Giants. So here's one where I'm going to need a little bit of guidance from you because if I'm the Giants and we're picking six, I want a quarterback. But do we value any? Do we value QB3 as high as number six in this draft? I feel like when it's all said and done... Jaden Daniels is going top 10. I do. I believe that. Um, if if the, the only thing really that I think is going to hold him back from that is if he shows up at the combine and he weighs like 200 pounds. If he can show up, because he's, he's skinny. He's got a very skinny build. If he can show up to the combine and be 215, right? If, 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 if he could be 215, I think he's going top 10. I, I think the, the what we have seen from him Certainly this past season, but the growth, the consistent growth as a player going from Arizona State, what he was that first year at LSU, what he was last year, the growth that he has had, if what we get this year is just the building block of what he continues to be in the NFL, that's that's a player that you would take a chance on in the top 10. I mean, the big time throws, um, throws deep down the field, the throws to the sideline, to the middle of the field fearlessness from him the confidence going through progressions like all of that is there from him not to mention the rushing threat that he is now he's got to get a lot better at protecting himself he's got some josh allen type of runs josh allen's got like 40 50 pounds on him for durability so he's got to quit it with that because we we tell josh allen he's got to quit it and he's like i said got a lot more uh got a lot more meat on him so i think for what we have seen again what we have seen from Jaden Daniels, elite passing grade this past year, elite rushing grade this past year, Heisman Trophy, no question about it, was the most unique and best outstanding college football player this year. It makes me feel like he's going to be a top 10 pick. So if he's going to be a top 10 pick, the Giants want a quarterback and they need a quarterback and they want to get more dynamic. Yeah, pick him. All right. You talk me into it. Um, the Giants obviously desperately need offensive line as well, but I, I think they can take a quarterback here and, and not not regret it if they get it right. So the Giants grab Jane Daniels at six. Uh, New York Jets at number seven. This one I think is an obvious offensive line. This is where we need 
a first offensive lineman off the board. So pick your favorite. I don't think it even matters what position it is because they need help everywhere. Yeah, um, I'll stick with Olufashato in this one, the offensive tackle from Penn State. Um, again, much like the wide receiver conversation, I think him and Joe Alt is very close. And I think that uh, we at PFF could very well have Joe Alt as, as offensive tackle one when it's all said and done. I think that some people out there are going to be in that same camp as well. But I'll stick with Fashano just because even though he definitely needs to get stronger as he gets to the NFL level and guys he's going up against only get stronger so that becomes a necessity. Uh, the movement skills of this guy have, are just unbelievable in pass protection. That's the stuff to me that you bet on. And you hope that he gets with great strength and strength conditioning coach in the NFL. Not that Penn State doesn't have one. I mean, they've, they've pumped out some incredibly strong prospects over the last couple of years. But you just you need him to get a little bit stronger to make sure that he can move people in the run game and uh, stay strong against a lot of bull rushes when defensive linemen try to get uh, physical with him. But you know, when it comes to protecting either shoulder, inside, outside moves, mirror ability, footwork for a guy that is six foot six to 320 pounds, rare. It, it's it's rare stuff that we see from him. So I'll go with Olu Fashano here at seven for the Jets. All right. I like it. Uh, number eight, the Los Angeles Chargers. I still need wide receivers. I know they drafted Quentin Johnson in the first round oh, last boy. year. Eve, part of it is a hedge of, with Quentin Johnson looking bad so far. Um, but even if he ends up turning good next year, like Keenan Allen is is towards the end of his career. Mike Williams is now so injured as a history, you can't trust him going forward. They need to guarantee an upgrade at wide receiver. So I think you grab a wide receiver in the first round. Yeah, I just uh, over on NFL Stock Exchange, the podcast that I do with, with Connor Rogers, we just did a fixing the Los Angeles Chargers episode. So for that, we looked at head coach situation, GM, but we also looked at their cap situation, and their cap situation is bad. It doesn't get talked about a lot. I think the Saints get a lot of crap for being so far over the salary cap, but the Chargers are also $42 million projected to be over the cap for next year, and they've got huge contracts. Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa, Mike Williams, and Keenan Allen, all four of those players are are above 30 million on the cap next year. So something's got to happen here. I think what's going to happen is I think that Bosa and Mike Williams are probably going to be gone. I think they're going to cut them. They can save like $40 million alone if they move on from those two guys. I think they'll restructure Keenan Allen just because if you get rid of Keenan Allen too, you got nothing. Would Josh Palmer's your wide receiver one? I mean, that ain't that, that ain't the scenario that you want for Justin Herbert. So I think that Mike Williams is at least he is gone. I think Keenan Allen remains, but he's getting older. It's going to be a restructured deal. So I don't hate the wide receiver move. If you're saying wide receiver, mm-hmm. Romo Dunze from Washington is the next guy here for me. I think that he is a, a incredibly smooth moving athlete for a player who's six foot three, two hundred fifteen pounds, runs fantastic routes. I mean, I think he he my big criticism critique of him going into the year was for a player of his size. I love this finesse game, but he didn't have as strong of traits or film, I should say, at the catch point. And he does now. The contested catch numbers are a lot better. Um, I feel like just catching through traffic overall was better from him. So now you have a really well-rounded, impressive athlete prospect at a really good size who can play on the outside, he can play in the slot, he can play as a flanker, he can do whatever you want. So we'll go Romo Dunze then if you want to go wide receiver. Nice. I would also accept just receiver help, period. So if we wanted to put Brock Bowers into this conversation, I would absolutely mm, be on sure. board with that. Um, number nine, Tennessee Titans. Another clear offensive line need, I think. The Titans' offensive line's a mess. They drafted Skaronsky last year. He'll be fine. Um, but they need help at 
probably three or four offensive line positions. So grab your yeah, favorite. Yeah, uh, offensive tackle, easy one. Uh, this is Joe Alt. Again, I mentioned it kind of might be a coin flip between him and Fashanu. So the fact that Fashanu went seven and Alt went nine, that makes a ton of sense. I think that it, it, it kind of shocked me that the Titans didn't give Peter Skaronsky a shot at offensive tackle, even with his yeah. lack of length. He's just a really good offensive lineman, and I don't like the tackle play from the Titans at all whatsoever. So this makes me feel better. You could have Skaronsky at left guard. You could have Joe Alt at left tackle. Really nice left side of the offensive line for the Titans, but I agree with you. Yep. No, I agree. That's an easy one. Um, this one, though, is tough. Rounding out the top 10, the Atlanta Falcons, um, because they need a quarterback again. And now we're already down to QB4 in this draft. Can we get a QB four at number ten, or have we got to try and figure out another solution to quarterback and go in a different direction? I like Bo Nix. <laughs> I do. Uh, if, if if you wanted to say, hey, quarterback is the position that they need the most, I'm going to put Nix here, and I'm not too mad about it. I think that for a lot of people reading this, the the, the top ten is probably going to be rich for them, but. Nick's does a lot of things really well. He's become a much better decision maker over the last two years. He does not have many turnover worthy plays at all. That was a big issue of his at Auburn. He couldn't see the field well. He couldn't go through progressions. He couldn't hang on to the ball. The other stuff, the added mobility, the RPO ability with his legs, what he was as a rusher, how he could extend plays, that all still exists. The guy has a legit NFL arm. He really does. People talk about, oh, he's just a screen. They use the term screen merchant all the time. Oh, he's just throwing quick slants. He's throwing screens. And because he can't throw it deep down the field, go watch some of his attempts. I mean, he's throwing with he's throwing with zip. He's, he can hit it over the middle within tight windows. He can throw it deep down the field, 50, 60 yards down the field with ease. He's got that NFL arm. He just had an offense that was, you know, a lot of quick hit stuff over at Oregon over the last couple of years. So, I love the way that he has grown. To me, Knicks is an easy upgrade over the quarterbacks that Atlanta has in their system right now. So, look, if you want to go quarterback, I would go Knicks. No, I'd I can't go do Knicks. I wouldn't be mad about it. I can't do it. I will say the late Michael Renner, who, remember, isn't dead, just not working at PFF anymore. The late mm-hmm. Michael Renner has Bo Knicks' QB3 and, and right up there at the top. So, you're not alone. I had Knicks, I had Knicks QB3 from the beginning of summer. Right. All the way until Jaden Daniels turned superhuman this season. So Nick's has I'm the same. I'm, I I have the same thinking as Mike. Nick's I think is a very good prospect. He's QB four for me, and that's only because Daniels has played so so well this year. I can't do it. I can't have him a ten. But I will Coward. say the Falcons' offense. So number one, outside of Drake London, basically all of their wide receivers are going to be free agents and leave the team. Right. Number two. Arthur Smith might not be running the offense anymore, and in fact, possibly, probably won't be. So we're probably going to be shifting from this weird, heavy set formations, uh, unusual offense that doesn't focus on their wide receivers anyway. So I think the Falcons actually have quite an acute need at wide receiver, even if it doesn't look like it, you know, looking at their offense right now. So give me the next wide receiver on the board. What would be next? Okay, it'd probably be one of three guys. It'd probably be Tez Walker from North Carolina, Brian Thomas Jr. from LSU, or Troy Franklin from Oregon. Okay, All of those guys are kind of in the same bucket for me. I ended up having Tez Walker as wide receiver four when I went through the episode. But I wonder if... I wonder if they'll like Troy Franklin more just for the yards after catchability. Because he's got so... 
I think I would go. I think I'd go Troy Franklin, honestly, just for, just for that Falcons offense for the for the added yards after catchability with that speed element. So any any of those three guys, I'd be comfortable with. But for the Falcons specifically, I actually like Troy Franklin. All right, I like it. That'll wrap up our top ten. That's uh, drafting every single team in the top ten. That wraps up that, and uh, that wraps up Trevor's appearance for today, Trev. Huge thank you for everything you've done for the show today. Part of our uh, nomination, our finalist award. And uh, have a happy Christmas, good sir. Yeah, man. A Merry Christmas, a happy holidays to you guys. Everybody who uh, helps put on the show does some great work. And then, of course, everybody who watches the show as well. See you guys next week. Now I'll head on over to the uh, the Boo Boo Breakdown. All right, back in the chair for this Friday's Boo Boo Breakdown. The last one before Christmas is our guy Vic Troja. Welcome back, Vic. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get straight into it. Uh, Jamar Chase, I think, is probably the most interesting uh, player to talk about. Another receiver dealing with a shoulder issue and one that seems likely to keep him out this week and potentially longer. Yep. I don't see Jamar Chase playing this week. Uh, he has an AC joint sprain, which is like the connection from like your clavicle to your shoulder. And uh, when that initially happened, you can tell he was in a pretty high amount of pain. Um, so he went and got an MRI and the Bengal stadium is actually one of the few that have an MRI machine only, on it's, site. Right. It's, there's only one or two, right? Like yeah. There's only, yeah. There's only two that have yeah. it. I think it's the Rams and the Bengals. Such and, a weird, <laughs> it's such a strange thing for the Bengals of all teams to be, you know, one of two that right, has well, this state of the art, highly expensive piece of equipment. Exactly. Well, I mean, shout out to GE medical imaging for getting in there, but I do have to say that, uh, you can tell how much pain he was in because he couldn't even tolerate laying down in an MRI because his shoulder hurt that bad. Right. So they had to wait for it to calm down, his pain to go down. Um, so which tells me that it's definitely above a grade one AC joint sprain, which means there is some instability there. Uh, they're gonna definitely hold him out this week. I don't see him playing. I don't see it worth the risk, especially uh, given the nature of if that gets landed on again, the severity of a grade three or four could be pretty bad so yeah and they're one of the few teams i mean obviously you would want to have jamar chase out there if you can but yep. you have a t higgins you know you have the capacity potentially to survive without him right and as much as they're in the midst of the playoff hunt it's not like you know if it was a year ago say where they're they have super bowl aspirations serious super bowl aspirations you know maybe you'd treat him differently but i think they're they have the capacity to leave him out and not you know, go and go crazy with it. Absolutely. And this is a great example of like what a difference between like even a one and a two grade wise is for like something like an AC or an ankle, because I just, you know, you've seen Keenan Allen and, you know, car battle these, these AC joint sprains all year. Right. But they've been kind of flirting with that grade one sprain. Right. But as soon as you start to get instability and that amount of swelling, like you just get shut down. Is there a direct connection between the level of pain you're in and the severity of the injury? Because I mean, I, I the most pain I've ever been in in my life was some sort of mild knee sprain that I played through for like another hour. And it was fine at the time. And then like later that night, that's when the pain hit, when everything yeah. started to seize up or whatever. And the pain got so bad that I couldn't move. And when I say I couldn't move, I don't mean I couldn't move the knee. I mean, I couldn't move because yeah. pain would shoot through the knee. And I don't think that was, I, I never like got it properly checked out, but whatever it was, wasn't, it wasn't bad. I mean, you know, it was a probably a grade one sprain of some description. Right. I would definitely say that that's not the case where severity of the injury correlates to pain. Like a good example is 
sometimes like clean breaks and clean tears are actually less painful. Right. Like if you sprain your ankle and everything is a clean tear, a lot of times that doesn't hurt as much as like a really severe sprain because now you're stretching the nerves and you're stretching the ligaments and tendons. So, um, yeah, it doesn't necessarily correlate all the time, but an instant like that, like when it's that acute and in that much pain, you know, it's more severe than just like a very low level for him. Um, Tyreek Hill yeah. is uh, another one of these high ankle sprains. that seems to have been uh, a trend this year. He's one of the few guys where every, so far, you, you keep looking at all these guys with their high ankle sprains. It looks really bad at the time, and somehow they come back next week. Tyreek Hill is one of the few guys that's actually missed time already now sitting out of game. Um, are we likely to get him back this week, or is this actually finally one of the high ankle sprains? It's like the, the conventional timetable right. where he's going to miss a few weeks. Yeah, that's a good question, Sam. I think the first thing you have to put into consideration here is where the Dolphins are at. Now, I was looking ahead at their schedule, and, I mean, this is a big game. Don't get me wrong. The, the, the Cowboys game this weekend is big. But the bigger game is next weekend. It's against Baltimore, and that might end up being one of the tiebreakers for the you know home field advantage, top seed playoff game. So I look at this situation and say he might be held out just for the fact that they really, really need him next week, not saying that they don't this week. Um, the other thing is, though, uh, there were reports last week that Tyreek Hill might have been able to play. Mm. So I wonder if what they're doing right now is they're just keeping him, you know, out. He's been limited in practice this week and just trying to make sure that, like, when it comes game day, he's full go and they're not trying to stress it. Tyreek Hill is not a player right now that I'm like, he needs to get a week of practice into play. Right. He's definitely um, in that tier where he could just suit up on any given Sunday and go out there and play. The question is, you know, what – do they value as far as his return? And also if, if he's coming back and he's like 95, 98%, sure, he can play this weekend. But if they're putting him down there and saying there's a risk of re-injury, I don't see him playing this weekend. So it's going to kind of come to what the coaches and the docs think on that one. Yeah, they got three games left. They're all against good teams, but this one is the NFC game and the next two are AFC right. matchups. Baltimore obviously sitting in the number one seed right now, but then Buffalo, who are the, the, the other team within that division. So if you're looking at it from a Miami perspective, if you had to lose one of those games, this would be the one to right. lose. Yep. Um, is there any reason why those high ankle sprains, the recovery timetable seems to have dramatically sped up? Like, you know, you don't have to go back too far where a high ankle sprain, you would be like, this guy's gone for a month or whatever, like right. just shutting him down for a while. And now, I mean, it sort of feels like they could have put Tyreek Hill out there last week if they needed to, you know, and, yeah. and wanted to be cautious with him. And everybody else, like Trevor Lawrence, all these other guys, it looks horrific. And they're, they're back the next week playing. Yeah, I, I think that we've seen a lot of high ankle sprains this year that just haven't been to that extreme severity. Uh, like it's been enough to keep a player out for the rest of that game, but also enough for them to be able to rehab and come back. When you look at a quarterback situation, the high ankle sprain isn't really going to affect them nearly as much as like a speedy receiver like Tyreek Hill. Um, but I do think that that I've just noticed this year that these high ankle sprains haven't been like that detrimental. I mean, I actually think about like when Pat Mahomes had that last year. Mm. Uh, if that was in the beginning of the season, he, oh, he wouldn't have played. Yeah. He wouldn't have played. So, Absolutely. like, I mean, there is a difference between what we saw this year with some of these key players and then some of the past injuries with high ankle sprains. Not to say that, like, we're um, – I don't want to downplay what's happening with Tyreek Hill. He might 
Right. He yeah, might yeah. have some, some severe injury right there. But we might have another one this week with Will Levis, mm-hmm. who again, like when they did his injury, it 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 was bad enough. It was one of those ones where it was bad enough that the TV was saying we're not going to show it. Like, right. This is this is awful and. You know, it sounded like he was going to be done, and then he's walking around after the game. He's like, "Yeah, it's not that bad." So, I mean, he might play this week. We, we don't know yet. It's it's going to be him or Tannehill, but it, it would be another one of these injuries where, like, Trevor Lawrence was the same thing when he did his his ankle. It's like that's going to keep him out. You know, he can't like that's the Patrick Mahomes injury, and then he was back the next week and didn't even look it, like encumbered by it. He right. was back and looked a hundred percent healthy on that ankle. Yeah, it's it is fascinating. Now, again. It, <laughs> The point of getting a player back on the field, too, is can they move on it and are they in pain? You know, sure, there's going to be discomfort, but right. like, is that pain to the point of where they can't stand to play on it? Um, that's what the benefits of some medicine will do before a game and taping it up like you can't even move it. So, yeah. Um, concussions is obviously yeah. going to be a, a permanent one we talk about. CJ Stroud has now become one of these quarterbacks who didn't just miss a game but looks like he might miss two games mm-hmm. um and what we talked about yesterday was he had the Tua hit right the one where your head snaps back and cracks against the turf right and that seems to be the worst type of hit to take when yeah. it comes to concussions obviously that was what put Tua out for a period of time last year and now it's keeping Stroud out for what appears to be a longer than normal period of time yeah yeah, well, Stroud is still having some light sensitivity, which is a phase in the concussion protocol. Um, you need to be able to pass uh, all five stages of concussion protocol without any symptoms. And symptoms include light sensitivity, headache, nauseousness, um, symptoms that come on with exercise, all of that. So he's having light sensitivity still. So that's early phase. Like that's not even trying to get through exercises without having any symptoms. Um, But stats this year have been really interesting. So uh, the average player with a concussion so far this year misses misses about 16 days. Uh, 22% of players that have concussions this year are coming back within one week. And that jumps to above 50% when it's two weeks. And now you're in about the 90th percent of people come back in three weeks. So I do think that he will be back next week. Uh, it's just it's going to be hard if he's not if he's not even passing, you know, stage one or two of concussion protocol right now. It's going to be hard to expedite that process by the end of the week. And given what we saw with Tua last year, I don't think team physicians are in any rush to do that anyway. Right. Um, do you know if there's any um, reason that so obviously. When you hit the turf, like at some point you cease to have give in that, right? There's concrete under there somewhere, right? right? And when you reach that that level, it's not moving anymore. Whereas any hit from a player, at some point there's a give on their side as well. Is there anything to like the the linear direction of that hit as well, directly backwards as opposed to from the side, from an angle, from the front? Like is there any reason that snapping your head backwards – in a straight plane towards that immovable object increases the severity of the concussion or is it simply the turf is harder than the guy hitting you? Yeah, I mean, I would say to put an emphasis on one aspect of that question, I would say it's it's the head hitting the turf and then the second impact. So you think about like if somebody's standing up and they get head-to-head contact from a defender, usually that head-to-head contact is like, you know, getting hit and then their head goes back and that's that's the end of the impact. Mm. When you hit down on turf, it's not only the head 
bouncing off the turf. It's the head coming back up, kind of like whiplash. If you get like in a, a rear, um, you know, bumper to bumper and you rear ended, it's like that. It's the double sided of the head and the brain inside your head moving back and forth. When you get hit posteriorly, like when you land on the back of your head on a turf, you do get more impact from like the occipital nerves, which are in the back of your head. And you can get some more um, impact of like the eyes and the light sensitivity from that. But in general, what we see is when the player's head hits the turf, it's not only the f- initial contact with their head slamming down, it's also the bounce back up. And it's like the the way that they tend to fall, it almost accelerates the motion as well. Like right. you, you fall back, tend to be back first, and then it sort of curves your spine. You get that like whipped into yep. it. it. It accelerates the hit into the immovable object yeah. as well. It is true whiplash. Yeah. Um, all right. Anybody else we want to hit before we uh, before we wrap this up for the Christmas? I think I'm not hitting anybody else, but this is the time for everybody to look at. It's it's the season of shutdown, so you're going to start to see players get shut down just because either they're not in contention or anything like that. And then it's also the season of strapping up, so you're going to see players push through injury, and you're going to see them try to get, get on the field to make a playoff run. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how guys perform this week dealing with some injuries. All right, that'll do it for the Boo Boo Breakdown this week and for our show this week. Remember, we are not back on Monday next week with it being Christmas. We will be back on Tuesday morning to break down all of the week's action. Thank you to our guy Vic for showing up, uh, not just for this show, but all the way through this season. And uh, we will talk to you on Tuesday.